Well, good morning once again, friends. Good morning. Good to see you. Y'all awake this morning? Ready for a sermon? Okay. Good. I hope so. Last week, we're, well, we're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of John, and uh, last week uh, we discussed how Jesus came to set us free from sin. And I had one of those moments where after the sermon I went, ah, oh, I wish I would have said this. You ever had that happen to you? After a conversation, it's like, oh, I wish I would have just ah, said it this way. Well, I'm going to give myself a do-over. Uh, <laughs> I get that opportunity. Well, we were talking about, I had said last week, sometimes, you know, I feel in the church that we can maybe trivialize sin because, you know, we confess that we're sinners, which is good, you know, and of course that we need to do that. But I was wrestling with this tension because certainly it's good to acknowledge our sin and to be transparent and confess our neediness, our brokenness. And yet, Jesus came not to just forgive us of our sins, but to free us from them. So that was the tension we were wrestling with last week. So how do we both confess our sins and be honest, and yet prioritize pursuing freedom, liberation, and redemption? And then it hit me, what I wish I would have said. I immediately thought of recovery groups. Recovery groups. Because in a recovery group, the problem is recognized, it's normalized, it's confessed. But what good would a recovery group do if it didn't intend to help people recover? You are there to find freedom. And you're there to support others finding freedom as well. Recovery groups exist not not just to help people admit their problem, but to find healing and freedom. And that's what we're after in the church. Yes, we need Jesus to forgive our sins, but we also are seeking that he would free us from them. So we're going to pick up on that thought because in order to pursue freedom, we have to see that we need it. We have to see that we need it. And that can often be the most difficult step for people. And that's why it's step number one out of the 12 steps. We admit that we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. I now see that I have a problem and something must be done. But sadly, we can often be blinded to the fact that we have sin issues. We can deny, rationalize, compare ourselves to others, minimize it, lie to ourselves and others for years. So in both addiction and spiritual recovery, the first problem we have to overcome is our own blindness to the issue that's going on. And John tells a story of a man who was born blind, that Jesus heals. And this story of this this man becomes a, a metaphor. It becomes a picture in which we see and envision the Christian life, moving from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. So I invite you to follow along with me in John chapter 9. Open up your Bibles or open up your phone, whatever you will, uh, if you want to follow along in the story. But it says, as he went along, it says, He saw a man blind from birth. Now, I want to pause there because I don't think that's accidental to this this spiritual metaphor we're talking about. There's the actual story, but there's also the metaphor that we're addressing. And the reality is we are born spiritually blind when we come into this world. We're born in sin. We're born not knowing our true Heavenly Father. We're We're born not knowing the problem of sin and death and who the Savior of the world is. These are things that have to be revealed to us, which is why we love our children's ministry at our church, amen? 
We want to teach our children the truth of who God is. God loves them, who Jesus is. So we are born spiritually blind. Why? Well, Jesus says about this man, this happened so that the works of God displayed in him. We're born spiritually blind in some sense because then God gets all the glory for our healing and for our salvation. If our spiritual blindness is cured, then it's a miracle of God. It's not our own reasoning, our own philosophical prowess. It wasn't our works that did anything. If we come to see that Jesus is Lord, it's because God opened your eyes to the truth. God revealed it to you. We are born spiritually blind so that the works of God might be displayed in us. Friends, all that we are and all that we become in Christ is because of God alone. He has done everything for our redemption. And he came so that our, our eyes would be open and so that we, we could see and that when we see the truth, we would be set free. And Jesus opens our eyes uh, in many ways and there is kind of the initial revelation, but I think there's also an ongoingness to spiritual sight. Uh, you know, about once a year, I go to the optometrist, and they put my eyes through the ma- machine, and I was just told last year, your prescription needs adjusting. You can't see as far as you used to. we got to tweak it just a bit, because you're off. And, and I think that happens spiritually, too. We kind of go through time, we kind of go through the busyness of life, and all of a sudden our, our eyesight just adjusts to the things of this world, and Jesus comes and has to adjust it back to reality and to see things for as they are. And so this morning, I want to look at uh, three questions to kind of diagnose or kind of check our spiritual sight. How are we seeing? Um, in each of these questions, we're going to look at a different person or group of people in the story that help us. See how this spiritual journey of sight goes. So the first question I want to pose to us is, how am I seeing Jesus? How am I seeing Jesus in my life right now? And the first character we're going to look at in the story with this question is the man who was born blind himself. He has this miraculous encounter with Jesus. This is a sign that there is something different about this man. Who is this who could do such a thing? Was this a magic trick or what what happened? And I mean, the miracle this man experienced was amazing. But actually, what was more significant for him was his journey of spiritual blindness to spiritual sight, of seeing who Jesus really is. That was what was eternally significant for this man. And it's really kind of hilarious because at first, the people in the community, they cannot see who this blind man is after the fact. Like, they don't, they don't recognize him afterward. They're like, is that you? And he's like, yeah, it's me. They're like, really? Then how are your eyes open? You don't look like the guy who you used to be. And it says, and they kind of say to him, well, if, if it's really you, verse 10, how then were your eyes open? And then notice what he says. He replies, The man they called Jesus, the man they called Jesus, he made some mud and he put it on my eyes. At first, Jesus is just just a man, the man that they call Jesus. He's some guy going around doing a bunch of stuff, doing all these miracles. And the reality is people in the world, they, they hear about a man named Jesus, but who is Jesus to them? And for those of us who now, we, our eyes have been opened, we know who Jesus is, we know he's God. 
I think it's important for us to remember also that Jesus is a human being just like us. Able to sympathize, able to relate to us. And before anyone recognized him as God, they saw him as a man. A human being just like us. But Jesus is no ordinary man. He's no ordinary man. And the Pharisees, they hear about what happened and, and they're divided. Uh, some think he's, just, he, uh, he's a sinner because he performed this miracle on the Sabbath. This is kind of the on, one of the ongoing debates between the Pharisees and Jesus. But others are saying, well, if he's a sinner, how could a sinner perform such a miracle? This doesn't make sense. And it says they're divided, so they decide to ask the man who was healed his opinion. In verse 17, they say, well, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Which is crazy. They admitted right there that Jesus had opened his eyes. But they still can't see. But this man who was healed, he's, he's listened to all the debate, all the things that people are saying about Jesus. And it seems like he's beginning to recognize already there is no way that what just happened to me happened by any ordinary means. There is no way that this could be some ordinary man. There's no way a sinner could do what Jesus just did. So the man replies, he's a prophet. He is a, he is a prophet. Now, a, a prophet is somebody who speaks God's word to people. And I think this man probably had in mind maybe Elijah or Elisha, Isaiah or Jeremiah. He's saying Jesus is someone like that. Jesus is a powerful spiritual leader of some sort. And that's great. The man is making progress on the spiritual journey. He was just a man, now he's a prophet. But that's how a lot of people view Jesus today. He's a great spiritual teacher. He was a great spiritual leader. This is how Islam views Jesus. He was a prophet, right? He's a powerful teacher, but he's not more than that. But the Pharisees, they, they still can't see who Jesus is. They call his parents in, debate with them, and they say, ask the son. He can, he can vouch for himself. Uh, but at the end of it all, they throw the blind man out of the synagogue. And it says in verse 35, we're jumping ahead here, but it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found them, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do your eyes see? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Isn't that an amazing journey that happened in this text? Jesus is a, a man they call Jesus. He's a prophet. And then by the end of the story, he's calling him Lord. Falling down and worshiping him. What a beautiful thing. You know, likewise in our relationship to Jesus, we go on a journey and we see that he's Lord, but it also deepens with new understandings throughout our seasons and throughout our years. And most of you, you your, your eyes have been opened, you, you, you recognize, you see with your eyes, yes, Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus is God. Your, God, your eyes have been opened. But sometimes, as life goes on, our eyes adjust to the things of this world, and we don't see Jesus maybe as fully or as accurately or as often or as frequently as we, as we would like. And we wonder sometimes how to understand life from God's perspective. How do we understand our situations? How do we understand our seasons from God's eyes? Uh, 
And that's a really good question. But I would pose to you that Jesus often won't reveal more until we take steps of obedience first. Before this man's eyes were open, opened, Jesus told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He put some mud on his eyes. He told him, go wash your eyes. Go over there and wash your eyes. And it was then his eyes were opened. I wonder if this man thought, what is this guy doing putting mud on my eyes? Is this helping or is this making it worse? I feel like there's junk in my eyes now. How is this going to help, Lord? How is this going to do anything? But it's only after he obeys the word of Jesus, even maybe not fully understanding what Jesus told him to do or what Jesus was about to do in his life. He obeys anyway. He trusts the word of Jesus and his eyes are opened. Often, sometimes, the words of Jesus may seem nonsensical to the world, maybe downright ridiculous, but it's when we put them into practice, our eyes get opened. We see what's true. And when we see what's true, that sets us free. Often, I think sometimes we can be blinded to the spiritual sight we need because we haven't yet put into practice what we already know, what we have already seen to be known to be the truth. We need to put that into practice first if we want more spiritual sight. So obedience is essential to spiritual sight. And so that means we have to see Jesus as Lord. We have to see him as Lord. So let me just give you a little eye exam. How are you seeing Jesus in your life? Do you see him as the Lord of your life? Do you see him as your master? Do you see him as your king? But can you also see him as friend? As a fellow human who relates to us and sympathizes with us. So we must check in with ourselves from time to time. How am I viewing Jesus right now? How am I seeing Jesus right now? The second question that we need to check up on is, how am I seeing the world? Now that's a big question. But we're going to talk about the second group of people who needed to go from blindness to sight were the disciples. Now let's go back to the beginning of the story. Uh, They see the man who's born blind from birth, and the the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this question in and of itself reveals a spiritually blind worldview. The disciples offer two ways of looking at the situation, and both of which were incorrect. How often do we fall into this trap, friends? We look at a situation, well, it's got to be this, or it's got to be this. And God says, actually, neither of those things. We get so trapped into the polarizations of our world. We get trapped into this either or us versus them thinking, and it can blind us from the truth. And so the disciples, they ask, this, they ask Jesus, hey, is this problem, is this sickness a result of his sin or, or his parents' sin? Who's, whose sin is God punishing in this situation? And Jesus says, Neither. That's not what's going on here at all. The question isn't whose sin caused this or why is God punishing them. The question is, how is God going to redeem this situation for his glory and neighbor's good? How is God going to redeem the situation for his glory and neighbor's good? He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
Now, friends, we don't have time for a whole theology of suffering right now, I'm sorry to say. I, I preached a sermon on that several years ago in our Explore God series, Why Does God Allow Pain and Suffering? I invite you to go listen to that if you would like. So forgive me if I don't address every nuance. You're, you might leave here thinking, oh, he didn't say this, he didn't say I can't cover it all this morning, okay? So if I don't cover what you're thinking, forgive me, we can talk. I'd love to have coffee with you. But why is a question we will ask at various points in our lives. It's important to ask, but in my experience, it often doesn't lead to many good answers. There's a lot of mystery involved. And when we sometimes ask the why, we can be tempted to play the blame game. This happened because of them. This happened because of me. This happened because of this other people group did it. This happened because of the government did it. This happened because someone else did something. <laughs> God is saying it's, Let's not wor- don't worry about that. Why are we playing the blame game? I, I, it can lead to a black hole of despair. Someone else got me in this mess. No, we, the, uh, let me suggest a better question. Is not why, but how. A better question is not why, but how. How is God going to redeem this, and how can I participate? How is God going to redeem this? This is broken. I lament it. It's awful. How is God going to redeem it? And what can I do to be a part of that redemption? Because no matter what happens, no matter why it happens, the one thing we know, the one thing Jesus has revealed, is God is at work drawing all people to himself, redeeming things that are broken for his glory and neighbor's good. So I would suggest to you humbly, that every problem, every evil in the world is actually an opportunity for God to redeem. Every evil is an opportunity for God to work. So let me ask you, do you see the world primarily as full of problems or full of redemptive possibilities? Do you see your life primarily as full of all kinds of problems or full of all kinds of redemptive possibilities for God to work? Personally, I know suffering is hard. I believe God knows suffering is hard. And that's why I think he wants to redeem it. Because he does love us and he does care for us. And so I I just want to invite you, what problem in your life needs to be reframed from problem to, to possibility? Struggles at home, problems at work, problems with friends or family. How might God want to redeem this situation? And how can you participate with him with Him, to bring as much good out of it as possible? How can you participate with God to bring as much good as possible out of the problems of this world? Because where there is darkness, God wants to bring light. Where there is brokenness, God is working for healing. Where there is bondage, God is working for freedom. When we ask why, we're tempted to see the world as problems caused by others. So we get mad at God, we get mad at the world. But God is not our enemy. People are not our enemy. Satan is the enemy. And we get victory over the darkness when we join God in redeeming the brokenness of this world.
Now, God chooses to redeem situations in different ways. Sometimes he does bring a miraculous healing. Sometimes he allows the situation to remain, and we don't know why. But we can know that God is working. And I think this man who was blind from birth, I think he would be astonished to know that we're still talking about him 2,000 years later as a metaphor for how we get spiritual sight and victory in the Christian life. Oh, if he could see this day, I don't know what he can see in heaven, but if he could see what's going on, he would be astonished. Oh, how God used my life. His glory was displayed in my life and I had no idea. And sometimes we don't get to see how. But God in his mercy, sometimes he allows, allows us to see, but it's how can we cooperate with God to bring redemption out of the evil of this world. So I just invite you, may you see the world, may you see your life, not just as full of problems. We, all, we know we have problems. But can we see with God's help, can we see our problems as redemptive possibilities where God can work? The final question I would invite you to consider is how am I seeing myself? How am I seeing myself? And the characters we will look at in this story are the Pharisees, or in this question. They needed to go on a journey from blindness to sight, but unfortunately they could not see themselves as blind. They could only see their own pride, their, or they could not see their pride or sin or self-sufficiency. Now, the Pharisees, they intended to honor God. They wanted to honor God. They wanted to follow His law as perfectly as they knew how. But in their pride, they could not see the truth about Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The problem with the Pharisees is their pride. They cannot see their own sin. They cannot see their own issues. And I like what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, not only are they wrong, but they have constructed a system within which they will never see that they are wrong. It is one thing to be genuinely mistaken and to be open to new evidence, new arguments, new insights. It's another to create a closed world, like a sealed room, into which no light, no fresh air can come from the outside. I think the Pharisees are a great lesson for us in the need for humility. Humility about how we see ourselves, our own abilities. And we have to be open to the views and corrections from other people. And it's, it's amazing to me, the man who was born blind, he actually gives the Pharisees probably the most sound biblical argument about what's going on. And they, cannot, they can't even listen to him. I mean, look what the, the man says in verse, uh, verse 30. This is the man who was born blind and healed. He says, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And actually, this man, this theology he's talking about, this comes from the Psalms, about the prayers God listens to. And he says, if, if, if Jesus were a sinner, there's no way God would hear his prayers like this. There's no way God would respond to a wicked person in this way. He gives them a, a very sound biblical case. Open your eyes. Can't you see this man's from God? But then they said to him in verse 34, 
You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. The problem is the Pharisees couldn't hear or see the truth because they saw everyone else as sinners except themselves. They were too prideful. Now, it's not wrong to have firm beliefs and convictions. In fact, the man who was born blind is going to become convicted that Jesus is Lord and believe in Jesus as Lord. We should be passionate about the truth. Jesus came to show us the truth, and the truth will set us free. But we need to have the humility to hear the truth from whoever and wherever it comes from. And we need to have the humility to be corrected by others when necessary. And it all comes back to, how am I seeing myself? We have to see that, yes, we are sinners who are in the process of becoming free. And we hold convictions as God gives us the light to see them. And at the same time, we recognize there is a great possibility that we are both blind to our own sin and blind to the truth. I mean, over and over again in the Bible, Jesus in the New Testament, they warn us against self-deception, against false teaching, against the lies of the enemy, who is the great deceiver. Why? Because we're easily self-deceived, which means we are prone to spiritual blindness. We are prone to not seeing things as we ought, myself included. And I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's why we have to keep getting in the Word of God. We have to keep getting in the Word of God because the Word of God is truth. The Word of God is our mirror. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If you want to see yourself, your heart, correctly, we got to get in the Word of God and see how it corrects and refines and encourages and reproves. In addition to the word of God, we also usually need the help of somebody else because we have a lot of blind spots. I'll never forget, uh, Laura and I were on a vacation. We were staying at a a nice hotel and I had gone down to spend some time in the hot tub and relax. There was another couple there. Their son was swimming in the pool and coming back into the hot tub. When he come back into the hot tub, he would jump from the edge into the hot tub. I mean, it was a bigger hot tub. It, you know, held six to eight people. But he jumped right in the middle. And as he jumped in, the water kept splashing me in the face as I tried to relax at this nice hotel in Florida. And uh, I'm letting it go on for a while. Eventually, the parents, they bring the son over and they say, Son, you're splashing. And he says, incredibly, I am? <laughs> How could this young man not know that he was splashing me in the face with his cannonballs right into the hot tub? But the reality is, friends, and I'm sorry to say it, often we're no better than that little boy. We're splashing all around us and we're not, we're not even aware of it. And that's because of sin, because of our spiritual blindness, because of our own limitations. And let's be honest, because of how we grew up, our family of origin, the ways that we were raised, the things that we see, the way that we respond to things. I heard one pastor say, yeah, Jesus is in you, but grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, they're still in your bones. And so there's a lot of things to untangle about the things in our our minds and our hearts and the way that we respond to stuff. And it's often, it's like, man, I'm just doing what my parents did or my grandparents did. 
And so there's all kinds of ways that we act and we're not even aware of it and it might hurt other people, it might affect other people and we need a good friend to say, you're splashing. You probably don't know it, but you're, you're splashing in others. It's affecting others. Your blindness is showing. And so you need a, a vulnerable relationship where that can be shared. A friend, a community group, a triad, whatever it may be, whatever way you choose, you need a friend who is willing to tell you, hey, you may, may not, but I noticed that you're splashing. And it might help if you were aware of your splashing and how it's affecting others. And we said in step number one of the healing journey is to admit our problems. Admit that we have an issue at times with spiritual blindness. And to admit that we have problems, we have to see our problems. We have to admit that we are blind and in need of healing. So I invite you to consider, as an eye exam, how are you seeing Jesus right now? How are you seeing the world? Is it all full of problems or is it full of God working in the midst of them? How are you seeing yourself in relation to God and others? In order to be spiritually healthy, we have to see Jesus, the world around us, and ourselves with spiritual sight. So which one of those three, maybe just one of those three landed with you today. Which one of those three might God invite you to see more clearly even this week? Friends, if you continue in his word, then you will see the truth. And the truth will set you free. Amen.